We don't question something unless something goes wrong. We coast along, and I've seen this time and time again. And in fact, I wouldn't be doing the job I am today if I didn't have an external stimuli saying, hang on a minute, are you actually happy in what you're doing? Right? So many of us just take for granted our happiness or, go, or just assume, well, this is it. So in that teaching, I did enjoy it right? until I got to my final school where it was so night and day different. And it's the times like that you realize, do I actually love this job? Right, because it's super stressful. You know, and I had colleagues who would be crying in the staff room. That's not a way to spend a career. So it made me think, I wasn't crying, but I was like, hang on a minute, let's rewind. I got into this, not because it was a vocation, I got into this for other reasons. It's time to resurrect my original plan. It's quite interesting how there are so many parallels with being a teacher and also a consultant where essentially you're teaching someone how to do something or how to do things in a better way. I'd love for you to explain to me a little bit more your motivations for becoming a teacher in the first place. Okay, let's start there. Uh, <laughs> I can give you loads of different answers why I was motivated to become a teacher, but really, if I'm really honest, um, I sort of took the route into teaching as a replacement for having a proper career. <laughs> so um, for all the listeners, viewers, whatever, uh, I graduated many years ago in 2001. Right. And if those who don't remember world events, then it was the dot com burst. So uh, there was it was like a mini 2008 economic crisis. There were just weren't a lot of jobs. So coming out of university, there weren't a lot of jobs. I went to myself, what can I do um, instead of like being going into the highly competitive world? And I was like, I really love to travel the world. How can I travel the world? Uh, oh, I reckon I can teach. Right, I can do that. So I convinced a uh, professor at university who I was very close to, who had been a, a headmaster in uh, different schools in Latin America. I was like, I really want to go to Latin America. He wrote me a nice job reference. Uh, he, well, he wrote to all the schools and he said, look, take this guy. He's good. And I just got a two month uh, trial contract in one school. And for me, I thought, I'll just see out the year you know, do some traveling. Five years later, I was still teaching because once you've done it a little bit and it goes well, you know, that two months turned into two years of that school. Uh, and then another school were interested in taking me after that and then another school. Um, so I just sort of slipped into it, enjoyed it. And five years later, thought, hang on a minute, I was only doing this as a as a sort of a, a temporary thing. Perhaps I should go back to what I thought I was going to do. Uh, so. so firstly, what country was that? So I started off in, uh, so then I went to El Salvador. Right, the world's most dangerous country. So, <laughs> so it's not like I picked a nice, gentle, uh, you know, uh, easy place. But actually, the school was lovely. The country was a bit bonkers. Mm. Anyone from El Salvador listening, I apologise. But um, yeah, I've got so many great stories just from there, right? Yeah. Um, but, and what a place to learn your craft. Um, you know, you're teaching, you're teaching kids in a language that's not their language. Mm. Um, you're teaching against the backdrop of a, um, a, a crazy country. Uh, and you you haven't taught yourself right so you're, you're learning on so many dimensions and yeah. and and certainly you know i then went and taught in nepal and i taught in palestine and i taught in wow. tottenham um i'll let you guess which was the worst of those four <laughs> um <laughs> and each one i learned a different thing it was a different environment it pushed me as much as it you know it, it was about the kids um and so i felt uh, yeah, I just developed so much in five years, right? Mm. Um, and then took that into the workplace. So then what was that feeling? So I imagine you've been doing it for five years. You're probably having a pretty good life. But what made you say, okay, let me reevaluate what I'm doing here and I need to go back home and actually get a real job? 
But. So do you know, <laughs> real job. It is a real job, by the way. I'm offended. I'm there to protect you, school teachers. <laughs> don't, you, don't you listen to this guy? Um, what can I say? It. Do you know what? It's um, it's as with many of us, right? Mm. Um, we don't question something unless something goes wrong. Right, we we coast along, and I've seen this time and time again. And in fact, I wouldn't be doing the job I am today if I didn't have an external stimuli saying, "Hang on a minute, are you actually happy in what you're doing?" Mm. Right. So many of us just take for granted our happiness, okay, or just assume, "Well, this is it." Right. Um, so in that teaching, I did enjoy it, right, until I got to my final school, where it was so night and day different. Mm. You know, the kids, it was it was less about teaching. It was more day-to-day management. It was more social services. There were threats, of, you know, against you. You were constantly in a in a battle. And it's the times like that you realize, do I actually love this job, right? Because it's super stressful. Am I getting other stuff? You know, and I had colleagues who would be crying in the staff room, you know, and I'd be like, that's not a way to spend a career. Um, so it made me think, I wasn't crying, but I was like, actually, this, hang on a minute, let's rewind. I got into this for not because it was a vocation. I got into this for other reasons. It's time to resurrect my original plan, right? But if I if that school had been good, I'd probably still be teaching, right? Or until or until I hit the buffer somewhere and realise actually this this wasn't my grand plan, my vision. And I know you love you're looking forward to talking about strategies and stuff like that. And I'm a strategist, so I wasn't I wasn't following my own strategy. So then, at that point, would you say you had a strategy in the back of your mind and you neglected it, or was it kind of rethinking of it? I, I had a loose strategy. I say I had more vision, right? Which was mm. to go into the corporate world um, and sort of reach the peak of the corporate world, which I'm still working on. Um, but yeah, it sort of rapidly goes through. That's where I'd always seen my life sort of being in business, wheeling, dealing, you know, yeah. Del Boy, whatever, but um, not in sort of um, public s- sector, not in those sort of things, not not disparaging. I've learned some great things in the public sector, but yeah. Mm. So I, re- I reverted back to what I'd always um, wanted to direction I wanted to go in. So how was that experience? Because you've got five years worth of experience. Yeah. Was it an easy walk <laughs> in the door or a bit more challenging than yeah, that? Yeah, uh, you know, I could say it was really simple, uh, but no, it was uh, it was fascinating but frustrating, right? Mm. The two Fs. Uh, yeah, I was very naive, right? I thought, hey, I backed myself. I had this ego. I was like, I've done five years. I'm amazing. I can do this. So I opened the internet, looked for jobs. You know, it's probably Indeed or read.co.uk back then. I was like, I can do that, right? Managerial role. I've got all those skills. Uh, you know, well, it sounds interesting in a finance company, in a bank. Applied to all these jobs. Must have applied to about 30 or 40. And didn't hear anything. Didn't hear anything. Didn't hear anything. And then one day I got a letter. A letter from an HR director, which simply said something along the lines of, I don't really understand why you applied for my job. Um, You're a teacher. All right. Just stay being a teacher. Uh, And I was like, wow. Wow. Right. Um, It was both humbling, but also irritating. And I was like, he's just seen the title. He hasn't seen the skill set that comes from being a teacher. But that's the way it is. That's how people will look at me if I try and go in mid-level. So I realized I had to start again. So I just, uh, instead of applying for these, these, um, mid-level jobs I went for graduate jobs I it doesn't matter I was five years older than everyone else but hey if it's an entry route it's an entry route back myself to go one step back to go two steps forward so uh and I nailed that I got I got you know, probably about 15 different offers from uh graduate firms mm. um and just took the one that was the most flexible yeah I want, I want to pause there actually yeah because um after doing five years mm. of work like you've got so much life experience and then turning back the time to go through the graduate route 
it's like swallowing your ego a little bit. Yeah. Would you say that? Like, was it an easy thing to kind of accept and go and do? Not initially, but but ultimately, right? Uh, so even in the interview process, you're turning up to interviews and you're older than everyone else. Right? Yeah. You, you just look around, everyone's straight from uni. Uh, they're all talking about what degree they got. And I'm talking about how, how I avoid getting kidnapped in <laughs> El Salvador. Um so you just feel, but you, you still go, it's still a competition, right, at that yeah. point, right? So, you know, it's not competition per se, but, you know, it's it's that thing. So you just, yeah, I'm sure it's the same being an actor or something, walking into a room if you're an older actor and you see. Um, so it's that sort of, okay, we're, but we're all here, you know, we'll all be doing the same job. It's not an age thing. Um, and what was, what was really fascinating, actually, the graduate scheme I ended up taking... <clears throat> They get you, like many graduate schemes, they get you to start at the real bottom, right? And so the graduate scheme I joined was for an energy company, and we had two choices. You're either on the phones or you're fixing boilers out on the patch, right? And I chose the phones option, right? So you talk to real customers, dealing with the real... And a lot of the other graduates were like, why am I on the phones? I've just got a first from, you know, Warwick, Oxbridge, whatever. And they want me to answer a phone, right? And I was like damn, this is great. I'm getting paid X amount just to answer a phone. I'm like, this is brilliant. So uh, I actually think having having had some experience allowed me to be a bit more grounded uh, about what the rea- realities of being in the workforce was. Um, and I think a lot of it played out, you know, because the graduate scheme that I joined, I ended up coming off after nine months of what effectively was a three-year program because they said, actually, you do have all the skills. You're already at that level beyond um and so just take a permanent job wow yeah that's pretty good because did you feel like you were more was it easy i guess it must have been much more easy because you were dealing with so much more harder challenges before that yeah it was easy i I mean right it's testament to what the different skills you pick up as a teacher right you do project management sort of um you do planning you do communication skills so actually uh it was yeah yeah they i was just like oh that's just like that situation that's just like that situation so it was easy to do the thing but it was also also but having worked you you just calibrate yourself a bit more you know anyone who hasn't worked you know when you get into work you realize things are frustrating things take longer than you expect they're not academic they're having to deal with real people so having already gone through five years of that i was a bit more realistic and like no, that's not going to work. I won't get stressed. Mm. You know, that sort of thing. So I think those definitely helped me. So then moving into that permanent role. Yeah. Did it feel that you were now finally finally in the right place? Yeah. So I, I sort of, uh, uh, the final permanent role I took was in the strategy team, mm-hmm. um, which I, and, uh, you know, obviously I applied for that and I loved it. And uh, it was it was a real awakening, right? I loved that strategic thinking, quite different from teaching. Um, you know, thinking, looking at things long term, looking for the the systemic problems. You know, why one thing leads to another. Um, what what is better, A or B? Um, that, that sort of uh, really took me back to just how in- analytical my brain is. Um, and whereas I'd been teaching like maths and economics, it was actually using it day to day and really. So I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And it, I got the hook, got the bug for strategy work. Yeah. And how did you understand the things that you were good at, especially in this new environment, would you say? How did I understand? Um, I think uh, it's the feedback you get. Um, it's when you hit roadblocks. Um, and 
uh, as I would subsequently find going into even more sort of um, strategic environments and intense environments, being um, being aware of when you reach your limits, right? Um, there is some super smart people there, um, and you can't be, you know, you're not necessarily going to be um, the smartest or have the answer to everything. It's about how you unlock that answer is a key part to it. Could you give me an example of something that happened? Oh, God, infinite. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, um, I'm thinking about when, oh, yeah, often in, in strategy consulting, when I went into it, you are given a task to answer questions on subjects you don't even know, industries you don't even know, right? So it's like, where do I start with a blank piece of paper? Um, and so, but the, the great thing is, you, you know, you are taught how to, break down those problems now one such time i was um i actually took a secondment as a consultant out to madrid so i was working in a foreign country on a foreign industry we were working uh, for a, a um, sort of um uh, international fair operator so the kind of people organize all these giant uh, consumer fairs you know the golf exhibition the yacht exhibition these sort of things um in, yeah so uh, and uh, we were doing uh, deep-seated uh, economic analysis. Mm. Now, um, uh, you know, my Spanish was no way good enough. Right? <laughs> I I re- realised on day one, and I didn't wasn't the subject matter expert, so I was so out of my depth. Mm. Um, and I knew it, the clients knew it, um, so, you know, I was like, well, what do I do here, right? And so it was real humbling. I actually turned to the most junior guy in the office and said, Right, again, I need your help, buddy. I need your help with the language around this, uh, the technical language. Right, uh, I then tuned to another junior. I need your help with the, uh, you know, the the sort of um, complicated statistics that sit behind this. Right, it, it and actually I was like, you know, although nominally I am several levels above you at this point in my career, you two are going to be the heroes of this this project. Right, and I'm here to to get the best out of you, and I f- fully hold my hands up. So. Um, you know, that's a that's a classic situation where, you know, if you have more of an ego, you're like, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. Cause no, I, I, and I love that story because it's like empowering the people that work for you to essentially step up and show what they're capable of doing. Yeah. Um, and as you said, like when you're in those senior positions, it can be very hard to ask for help because of how you're perceived you know yeah um so to actually go at it go there and do that is quite nice i would say yeah yeah and and do you know what going back to the the five years living abroad well as a teacher mm. just the cultural difference right one of the hardest things as an adult is learning a new language because yeah. you don't get the support when you're a child as when you're a child when you make a mistake people go that's okay you know have another go they're like what an idiot he got <laughs> it wrong he couldn't he couldn't order a meal in a restaurant um, so, but having spent five years, I often joke, I've spent a lot of my life in countries where I don't understand just learning to nod at the right time. Yeah. It's actually, it's actually a really humbling experience and saying, look, actually, I don't mind making a fool of myself. Mm. And that, and I think that serves you well when you get into leadership. Yeah. Okay. I don't mind stumbling in front of you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So talking of leadership, so yeah. you were working in the strategy world for a number of years. Yeah. Um, at quite senior positions. Yeah. And you talked before about when you hit a certain area, when challenges challenges arise, you reflect and kind of change your trajectory. Yeah. So going back to, say, 2019, yeah, when you decided to start your own consultancy firm, what were the motivations for you to do so? So, uh, yeah, well, I, I hit a... Uh, I realised I was unhappy 
Mm. Uh, but it wasn't me who instigated that. So when I say general look, so it was really funny. I was I was given a, a career coach by the company that I worked at as a sort of a, it's almost like a reward. Congratulations, you've reached this senior level. Have this person to help you get to the, even the ne- your next senior level. And uh, I had this, you know, this brilliant coach, still still uh, work with her, um, uh, who, um, first question she asked me, so do you enjoy your job? And I went, hmm, yeah, hmm, yeah, I guess so, yeah. She went, that's not a great answer. Uh, she had picked up on all the things that my tone was saying. So if you just read the transcript, I'd said yes. But it was the hmm, hesitations, having to really dig deep. She was like, Let, let's really explore that. So then we started talking about it, right? And I realized, actually, I didn't enjoy the job. I enjoyed the company. I All the people around me loved them, loved hanging out with them, loved, you know, all those sort of things. They were my friends. The actual what I was asked to do day to day, I was bored. It wasn't doing ticking box. I'd moved more towards doing project management, program management, which is overseeing a lot of people, dealing, you know, with a lot of status reports. That's a, I wasn't actually engaging my brain in, in the in the strat- strategic side that I, you know, we talked about earlier that I really enjoyed. Anyway, she then, so again, as a human being, as a person who loves solving problems, I'm like, okay, I know what I want to do. And she said, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's work out what you want to do in, in real time. So... She gave me this great exercise, which was, and I recommend anyone to sort of do this in their own life, is keep a diary by you for four weeks, eight weeks, whatever. It doesn't necessarily have to be that long. And in real time, when you're enjoying something, create a page that says things I enjoy. Actually write down what it is you're enjoying. The specifics. Is it presenting to someone? Is it you know tapping away on a Word document? Is it? And then on Simly, have another page is things you hate. Like when you're actually frustrated and angry, write down what it is, you know. Um, and once I'd done that for four weeks, it really became clear what I wanted, what I enjoyed doing, what was important to me. Uh, and that was that strategy side. But it was more about getting strategy out of people, getting people to buy into strategies. Uh, and that really was the nucleus for the business that I set up um, because I saw what I enjoyed. I saw what I was good at. And I was like, again, I threw a barrier in front of myself. I was like, right, let's go and find a company that does this. I couldn't find one. And she was like, well, why don't you just build it? I was like, yeah, okay, why don't I build it? Right, okay. Uh, so I've got a lot to thank her for. Wow. So that you weren't daunted about that task of just saying, I'm going to build it myself? A little bit, of course, right? Um, um, yeah, you know, I was like, oh, God. And, I, and I'm analytical, so I worked out what's the worst case scenario. And I actually said to myself, once I'd got comfortable with the idea, right, let's give it two years. All right. Um, if it doesn't work after two years, we'll just go back grab a joke you know so back yourself and and in some ways i could do that because i the stage of life i was at i didn't have any dependence i didn't have you know big financial pressures so i could take a two-year risk mm. uh, i know a lot of people do not have that luxury yeah uh, so not to be taken for granted no i can imagine so how was that kind of decision making so like did it take a long time for you to warm up to the idea of saying i'm going to take this break or did you have a plan in place to say, okay, six months, we're going to go like that? Yeah, it sort of built up to it, yeah. put, it put the things in place. Um, mm. And then, but then I'm a firm believer, if you do it, do it, right? Yeah. Yeah, because again, as a strategist, you can overthink things, yeah. right? But you've just got to get going at some point. Well, that's the thing with strategy. So like, I've got a love-hate relationship with strategy. Yeah. Where what I'm realizing is, is I'm a doer and I love doing to see the results to like pivot the strategy 
Um, and sometimes I feel strategy can take a long time just planning. And I get bored of planning sometimes. Um, so from your perspective, like when you set out your business, yeah. um, what type of strategies were you trying to help your clients solve or implement? So what I was trying to overcome is, uh, and you've caught me at a perfect time because I'm just remarketing, I'm just redoing all the marketing, so with the messaging around my business. Um, right, I always say strategy is simple, right? Strategy is about work out where you want to get to, work out all the options that are available for you to get there, pick the best one, and voila. That's, that's strategy, right? But what complicates it is human beings, right? Human beings are lazy, selfish, and easily distracted. <laughs> So if you tell them they should do this, they go, oh, that's too much. I'd rather do this because it's easier. Or, or you know, uh, or mm, that's nothing in it for me, right? Um, or, oh, but that thing over there is shinier and newer. Let's do that. right? And I'm tongue in cheek, but that is what happens to all of us. That's why 90% of strategies, in my experience, do not fully deliver, get diluted down, or do not even take off. So what I wanted to do was say to whatever your strategy is, if you don't have one, I'll help you get one. But more importantly, I will help you get other people excited by that and aligned. Because that's where I see things go wrong. And that's what I'm passionate about, helping get that. Which goes back to my school teacher days, right? Is It was the same as what I loved was that moment when a child understood algebra for the first time or understand something new. Right? It wasn't, you know, um, and so it's the same. When you can see people buy into a strategy, you go, right, that's going to take off now for that company. That's a key moment. So that's what I, you know, um, really wanted to help people do. Yeah. And that's what we do today. Yeah. So talking of algebra yeah. and strategy, so yes. you have a formula of what success is. I do. Um, I do. IQ. Oh, I'll let you actually explain. All right. No, 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 no. It's good to see a few. <laughs> so like there's IQ, which stands for the intelligent quotient. Yeah. The EQ, which stands for emotional quotient. And then there's the FQ, which stands for the focus quotient. Yeah. And essentially all of it coming together where you have the smart idea, you have the smart strategy, but then you understand how to bring everybody in together and therefore they can pursue the right strategy. But then there's also the focus element, which is quite important. Yeah. So there's a lot of pieces to there the puzzle. Are. Yeah. How do you bring companies or individuals on that journey, i.e. where should they focus on first? Well, it's different for every company, right? So this is a great, this is a great sort of language and way to, to talk with a company and say, look, why are you, being, why are you not successful? Mm -hmm. You've told me you want to you know, break into the US. You want to sell 100 million more. You want to you know, uh, improve your employee satisfaction. Why are you not successful? Right, let's start with the first pillar, IQ. Have you IQ, have you got the right ideas? Are they the best quality ideas? If not, let's improve that. Right? So we, we ascertain. And and often often they've got great ideas. That's not the problem. Right? But often the problems there are they haven't got enough ideas. Right? That's where the laziness comes in. Human being will often jump on the first thing that comes in front of us. Right. Rather than well, I always tell companies, you should have a hundred ideas from which you're picking the best one for a strategy. Right? So that's the IQ pillar, and you can see it, you know, by asking them how, you know, who have they engaged with, um, you know, how many ideas have they come up with, have they tested it? If they've got a great idea, though, let's check the next pillar, EQ. Are you taking others with you on the journey, right? If I go out into the floor, do other people understand the strategy, what is needed of them in a simple way? Have you gone out and sold it to them and, and spent the time? Is it their strategy, or do they still go, oh, 
Semi strategy, I don't really care, right? Because if you drop a strategy on someone, they're less likely to take any ownership or give a damn. So it's about how you engage them around it. And that's one's often pretty, you know, where there's a lot of weakness, right? So can can help you do that, right? Can energize the teams, can teach you how to talk about it in a more positive way. Simplify those messages. The key is flexing to what other people need, not what you need. So uh, so we help in that arena. And then the third pillar, right, if you've got a great idea, you've taken everyone else with you, the thing that might get in your way is the focus. Right? Often we ask people to do too much at the same time. Often there are hidden barriers in their way. So a great leader or a great business removes that sort of confusion, removes those barriers to enhance the focus. Right? And, and again, you can see that. Right? Often the clues are in what people are telling you. Right? And uh, it's like the old saying, right? Uh, um, um, a jar of jam can't read its own label, right? Uh, I, I, I can't, you know, I can't. You need someone to come in sometimes external and go, well, that's the problem, right? So that's the, um, so that's, that's, that's where we start, right? We assess and then we'll say, don't worry. We can either get ourselves in the middle and improve the IQ, EQ, FQ, or we can teach you the techniques so that you're self-sufficient to do that. It's such a interesting message that I haven't heard before, yeah. especially from a consultant company. It's very quite, it's very unique. How, how were you positioning yourself when you first launched the company? As in, like, how did you find your first set of clients? Would you say? Um, so um, I was really bad when you first start, as many business owners are really bad. They you, they go in their head, oh, this makes complete sense, and they go out and then nobody gets it and nobody's interested mm. right because the reality in the modern world there's just so much communication out there um so a couple of things came to mind i i sort of sharpened how i talked about it yeah and i can tell some stories around that i also changed my focus of where i went to to uh, sell that message right um so what i mean by sharpening the message initially was i i just had one way of talking about my business right and i can't Kind of, I can vaguely remember what it used to be, but but it's come a long way in the four years. And a big turning point was, I remember talking to my parents and said, uh, they said we just don't understand some, right? I was like, oh okay. And initially, I dismissed it because I was like, oh, they're older, they're not buyers anyway. But then I was like, well, if they could understand, then anyone could understand. You know, it's like like they always say, can you explain it to a four-year-old? Yeah. Then then anyone. So I challenged myself. I said, right, I'm going to make YouTube videos where I explain in under a minute what I do, but in a completely different way. Right, and then going to upload them to YouTube, show them to my parents, and see which one they prefer. Right, and then my nephew started voting on them, and then other people st- started to find them. Right, and I would describe myself as a gardener, right, a strategy gardener, helping strategy grow, or a strategy PT, helping you work the strategy muscles. Right, and I kept trying all these things until finally they were like, "We get that one, and we get that one." Right, and I was like, "Okay, I've come a long way here." Right, but that's that again, humility. Right, you. You need to say it a hundred times, a thousand times to get better and better and better. And then the second change that I did was where I went and communicated. So initially I just focused it on high net, you know, influence people, people who was very senior, had jazzy titles. And I was like, these are going to be the people who buy from me. As it turns out, it wasn't. Right? It was people who actually cared about me, had a strong connection. My first client was a guy I'd trained 12 years before. And he still remembered me because he had had he'd had such a positive time. When he saw I set up a company, he sent me a message. He said, "You probably don't remember me, but twelve years ago, you taught me something in a classroom that changed my career." Wow! Right? And I'd love to repay the favor. I'd love to. I'm now senior. 
I'd love to get you in. Wow. Right. So we got on a call and he said, do you remember what you said to me? I said, no, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, buddy. I don't remember what I said 12 <laughs> years ago. But he explained how we've been doing a role play around giving a difficult message to another, you know, in, in business. And he said, I kept getting it wrong. And you just stepped in and you went, what you need to do is rip the band off, band-aid off and deliver the punch. All right. And I did it. And it went well, fine. Right. And he said, anytime I have to give difficult feedback now, I, your voice comes in my head and I do it and it's fine. All right. And he said, and that got me promotions. It got me uh, to be able to, you know, sack someone. It got me to ask my wife out. It got me to, you know, he's like, you're always there in my head. Right. And I, it's been great. So I want to repay the favor. Right. And I realized there are people out there who remember you, who have such a positive. So just go out. Forget the titles, forget the ego. Just go and talk to everyone. The ones who love you will find you and they'll fight for you, right? So my first five clients were all people who were junior, had a positive experience and went to fight and go and get me into their companies. So that, yeah. That's pretty cool. That's that's (laughs) a a nice story. It's always nice when things come full circle. Yeah. Um, And like there's that saying where be kind or just be nice to people, not for one of anything for yourself but just because the world is so small that things just turn around so quickly and you never know like the person who you're talking down to could end up be a senior person that ends up rejecting you because of how they felt how you made them feel many many years ago and then the converse is true as well like you make someone feel on top of the world they're going to repay that favor if they have the right opportunity to do so yeah yeah i i firmly believe that mm. i mean you know uh, give your time freely i mean admittedly we all have limited time but yeah. uh but yeah yeah definitely so I was going to on that point, right? What piece of advice do you have in your ear that you hear a lot of the time? Oh, I have loads of pieces of advice. Um, you know, I have lots of different uh, mantras, pieces of advice, that, depending on the situation. But yeah. um, I think I think uh, the advice I give to others is to listen more, right, um, and to share more because as shown by some of the things we talked about earlier so much sits in our heads mm. now until you get it out and test it be via youtube or via other people you don't know if it's any good but your yeah. brain convinces you it is right and that it's it's not going to be the polished article so mm. get ideas out quicker right get feelings out quicker and then you can you can work through them and, and see if that idea was any good that, uh, um and you only do that by listening yeah. that's why the two go hand in hand Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing I, I, you know a bit tongue in cheek I, I always tell myself what would a better version of me do right now interesting right yeah. it's a great way to keep yourself balanced and, and sort of stuff uh, and it's amazing how um, it makes you slightly re-challenge your decisions and sort of blow away ones that are based on false information or or a narrative you have in your own head you know, this sort of, oh, I couldn't do that. But what would a better version of you do right now? Oh, he would do that. So why don't you be that better version just right now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And sometimes it's all that little nudge that you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you keep quite close check in with yourself, right? So do you still have that um, that little diary about the things that you like and the things that you don't like? I do. So as part of, um, it's maybe not so formal and so frequent, but yeah. certainly one thing we do in, our bu- in the business now is we do a weekly Friday um how much fun have we had this week right it's a simple thing one to ten how much fun i've been doing that for the four years since i set up this business and it's a chance to just reflect on the week 
right? Go through, what have I done? What have been the highs and lows? Because in the moment, things can seem really low and, or really high. What have we actually done this week to, to move the dial? Uh, how much have we enjoyed it? Uh, um, and so I track that score. Obviously, if it's low, we try and unpack why is it low. Uh, and I get really worried. I was saying to somebody today, I only get really worried if there are lots of consecutive low scores. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Cool. Faris, thank you so much. We're going to have to have the part two on this. <laughs> but I'm going to ask you one, two quick questions, actually. Okay, yeah. Um, what's a piece of advice that you wish you listened to earlier? Yeah. And what's one book that changed your perspective on life? Oh, on life. All right. Uh, one piece of advice. I think I've given loads of pieces of advice is, is uh, you know, don't listen to my advice. Is the advice. Um, <laughs> I think I think the piece of advice that I'd done that I wish I'd done earlier is, is, a mantra, is another mantra I said to myself is run towards a wrecking ball. Right. Mm-hmm. Is do more things that uh, you would invariably wouldn't do. Right. So put yourself out there a little bit more. It's linked to that. What would a better version of you do? Um, in terms of the book that changed my life, um, I mean, a book I love has really been very useful in recent years is uh, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow by Daniel Kahneman because that really sort of clicked for me about why people make the decisions they make um, and uh, that sort of impact all, all all the world that I've been working in for a long time. Awesome. Ferris, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Cheers.